They did it, Mr. Davis. I said they'd do it and they did it. What exactly, what exactly are you talking about? What's this? Did anything notable happen at the end of this episode? The finale of The Mandalorian Season 2? Uh, I don't know. Some some guy was there. I don't know who he yeah, was, yeah, but I, he seemed he seemed I kind of recognised him. It's been a while though. It had been a while. It, look, it looked a little uncanny valley. No, he didn't. He actually looked pretty good. Of course, we're talking about the finale of season two of The Mandalorian. We're talking about the episode titled "The Rescue," and we're talking about the return of one Luke Skywalker. What a finale! What a climax! Uh, look, I, as I was watching this, I'm going, look, this is a bit fan servicey, and. This from a show that sort of deals in a bit of fan service, but you know what? I'm really enjoying that they're doing it, and I, I say that as not even the huge, hugest Luke Skywalker fan ever. But uh, yeah, it was it was a a very welcome addition to the uh, to the Mandalorian sort of saga, and um, a, a wonderful way to wrap up this season. Your thoughts on that, Dando? Is there anything wrong with fan service though? Like, uh, who was this show made for? Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, um, I think if you're, um, yeah, you're probably going to be a Star Wars fan if you're tuning into The Mandalorian. So, yeah, let's throw a few little uh, Easter eggs and bonbons and whatnot in there. So, um, I don't know. I think there are there have been occasions when, you know, previous Star Wars projects, you know, sort of in the wake of um, in the wake of the you know the original trilogy and the prequels, the new ones sort of you know started by J.J. Abrams with The Force Awakens and um, and now with The Mandalorian and the wealth of other new shows that are coming up, which I think is something we should talk about in this episode, given that they announced that they're going to be making so many more Star Wars shows in the future. Um, yeah, I think there are occasions when it's like, look, you just threw that bit in. It, it doesn't really add a great deal to the story. It's just basically so you can point at the screen and go, they're drinking blue milk like they did in the first movie. Or, hey, that's that guy from, you know... Uh, you know, those novels that not many people have read, but I have because I know about it. You know what I mean? Uh, so I think there's occasions like that when it can be like, uh, you're, you're pandering a bit. But uh, that, when- that, that's, oh, oh, that is pandering. But this here, though, whilst you can't even see this fan service if you want to, and it is to an extent, which is fine, but it played into the story and the way it was handled. I think, man, like, can you, can you describe the, what you were feeling, what you were thinking when that first happened? Okay, well, yes. Let's uh, we yeah we're all out of order here, folks. But uh, we're going to the. It, do, it doesn't the, matter. It doesn't matter. We're, we're going to talk about the important thing now. It, it's already been a while since the, the last episode of the Mandalorian dropped. Uh, so if you're not up to speed, well, you really shouldn't be listening to this podcast, or at least this episode of this podcast. You should, of course, be listening to this podcast because it's really good. Um, but yes, when we're near the end of the episode, and um, you know things are looking a bit tense uh, for Mando and his uh, his uh, his allies up against. Uh, Moff Gideon and such, and when you you, uh, you knew someone was going to come, you just didn't you, you know knew someone's, who. You, yeah, exactly right. You didn't know who was going to come, but the minute you see it's an X-wing, you're like, okay, look, I doubt very much it's going to be those two traffic cop guys who we've seen in a few episodes this season. As me as a Star Wars fan, it was such a huge moment for me. I was like, until I saw his face, I was like, it can't be. I, I, and as it's going on, I'm like. If you're going to do all of this to me and it not be Luke Skywalker, I'm done. I'm fucking done, Disney. Like, you cannot do this to me. But they, I feel like they teased it so well where you knew it, you, you knew it was him, but you still weren't quite sure. Well, that's the thing. I but, think, even, yeah, even before you, know, you first see the X-Wing, you're like, okay, well, look, someone's, 
someone's going to have to show up here or there's going to have to be some Dewey A. Mackinac kind of character to sort of help save the day. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, the genius slash prowess of John Favreau and Dave Filoni as storytellers is that they they give you just little bits, little bits, little bits and, and until it becomes obvious that who it's going to be. But from, you know, it's the, it's the X-Wing. It's like, hmm, who could that be? You know, and you've got a feeling... It's like when you see um, a present under the Christmas tree that's wrapped in a certain way. It's like, you know, clearly that's a BMX bike wrapped up in all that paper. It's like, oh, but maybe it's something else. You know, I mean, maybe your parents are pulling a Swifty on you or whoever got you the bike. It may be Santa. Um, and then, you you know, you, pull, you peel a little bit back. Oh, oh, it's possible, it's possible. You know, so you've got the X-Wing and then you've got, um, then you see the green lightsaber. It's like, well, I think there's only one. I think there's only one character who's got one of those, and then of course you get the you know, in between all that you get all this awesome sort of you know wielding the force stuff and um, you know, dark troopers being uh, you know <laughs> turned into you know scrap and all that kind of stuff, and then you finally see Luke. You see Luke's face and young Luke's face because of course this is only like. Uh, did we determine right? It was only like five years or so after the end of Return. Five, five years after Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah. That's why yeah. When I had people at work complaining. Oh, they should have just had Mark Hamill. I was like, well, no, because he he hasn't aged fifty years or forty years. He's aged five. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, look, I'm not I'm not the hugest fan of um, you know CGing actors to their younger faces or just sort of you know. I mean, I rewatched Rogue One the other day because I mean, I'm not I. I'm not the hugest fan of it, but I thought, look, let's give it another go. We'll see how we go with it. And in all honesty, there were there was a lot of it I didn't mind. Uh, and even like the CG uh, Graham off target in it and the CG layer at the end, it's like, uh, yeah, th- this is kind of taking me out. It's not as bad as I remember, but it's still, you know, when you've got Ben Mendelsohn in a scene opposite CG Graham off target, it's like, well, one of these is a person, and one of these is... It's like its like watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit in some Yeah, I, I know, but it's a necessary evil, though. Yeah, true, true. I mean, eh. As a fan, I am willing to suspend my disbelief for the sake of the story, because if it means that we get to have these characters back with new fleshed-out storylines, I'm all for it, you know what I mean? I'm I'm willing to... Like, if people want to sit there and critique the, the, the special effects... Go and fucking do that. But I'm there to enjoy a good story. And if the story's good, then I'm willing to look past it. I get where you're coming from, Tyler. And look, I mean, I think the I think the effects have moved ahead in leaps and bounds, even in the few years since Rogue One or whatever. Because, I mean, yeah, looking at, um, you know, the way they DH Mark Hamill for this, like, that's pretty good. You know, this doesn't seem so sort of stiff or anything like that. I mean, when did Tron Legacy come out? That was like 10 years ago. Because you look at that oh, now. About that, yeah. And that's just, oh, man... A lot of the effects in that are really great and still stand up today, but the D.H. Jeff Bridges in Tron Legacy is like, oh, that's no good, and that kind of really, that really bums out the film. But- one of the one of the worst ones um, visually was Tony Soprano's mother. Oh, you never watched the show, have you? I haven't seen that episode. Oh, so his, his mother passes, but oh, sorry, his mother's alive, but the actress who played her passed away. Yeah. So they had to digitalize her face on somebody else. For the sake of the story, and this is like 1999 or, like, or maybe early 2000s. Oh god, it and it looks, it looks bad. It would have looked but, like the Rock is the Scorpion King. <laughs> <laughs> not good at all. But you know, like I said, 
it was it was needed for the story. So yeah. it's fine. Oh look, and I mean, yeah, don't get don't get me wrong. I mean, I was uh, I was happy to see Luke uh, at the finale of this episode, and I was happy to see the way that um, the special effects team and everyone else had, uh, you know, brought him back or brought youngish Luke back to life. I, I was I was really really happy with it. Um, so uh, yeah, it was it was a terrific ending for mine. And uh, but this whole episode, I thought, would just worked an absolute treat. You know? Yeah, I, I do feel like the the title gave the ending away. <laughs> well, true, but uh, you know, just see, but when it came up and it had a great sort of soundtrack track uh, cue or soundtrack sting sort of attached to it, I'm like, oh man, yeah, we're in for something good here. Looking forward to this. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of soundtracks, my um, my Mandalorian complete season one ALP box set arrived yesterday from Mondo. Oh, holy shit! Oh god, you love yeah, your soundtracks, and justifiably so in this case because yeah, this is one of the best. One I of think the, this is one of the best Star Wars scores, period. Oh, absolutely it is. You know, there's been... Of, of course, you know, you're sort of... Um, it's it's running... Well, John Williams walked so the Mandalorian could run, as they say. I'd say this is, yeah, like a perfect compliment, tribute, uh, whatever you want to say. I mean, it's um, it takes existing Star Wars stuff and, yeah... <laughs> to quote Homer Simpson, puts a clock in it. You know, adds value to it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, oh, I can't. I can't say enough about Ludwig Göransson's uh, music for the Mandalorian. It is he, he honestly, he's up there with Favreau and Filoni and and um, and Pedro Pascal as you know. Oh, and, and of course Grogu slash Baby Yoga slash Yodito as a reason this show works. He is pivotal. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. No, I put I put him up there equal with Favreau because if this. Without this music, the show is nowhere near as powerful. You know what I mean? Like that that final sequence. I've listened to the the score of it's, I think it's called Troopers or something, and it's when the troopers are like trying to punch in the door. Mm. So from Troopers onwards for that last episode, the last like two or three tracks is just like brilliance. Oh yeah, and you you, I, I, you listen to that, and for me, I watched this right, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt very reminiscent of the end of ET. Yeah, the end of this I, I, I would not. I would not disagree with you on that. Yeah, absolutely. They have because they're, they're saying their goodbyes. Like the the taking the mask off was kind of like the "I'll be right here" moment and mm. the hug, and then he and then he has he has to leave because he, he he can't stay around here anymore. So it was just you know, and it ends with et ends with the the ship door going down, et leaving. This episode ends with the door going down and Yodito leaving with Skywalker. Mm. I just thought, and listening to the music, just very very similar the way like. The emotions I felt at the time, just said, I think that's why I love this ending so much is because it's no secret E.T. is my favourite film ever mm-hmm. and this was just so similar. And describe, I asked you how you felt when you saw the, 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 uh, the X-Wing go past. So I'm sitting there watching it. It's about 12.30, 12.45 at night. Nicola had gone to bed. Uh, that's how I watch my Mando. You know, everyone has to go to bed. It's my <laughs> time, quiet time. Got my headphones on. That X-Wing goes past... I fucking leapt from my chair and I'm, sta- <laughs> and I'm standing in the in the land room, mouth agape, arms like frozen by my side, and that's how I stood for about five minutes. Oh, holy- I had goosebumps. I had tears in my eyes. It was like this was to me my favorite Star Wars moment in my lifetime. So that's, that's an, anything that's happened since I've been born. To me, this is the favorite, my favorite thing that's ever happened. It's a big call, but it's wholly justified. I mean, they hit a lot of really just perfect notes uh, with the finale of this episode. I mean, uh, it was action-packed. I mean, you know, just the um, 
yeah, with with Luke sort of going through the uh, the Dark Troopers the way he did, it was just you know I think it was beautifully shot, beautifully paced. I mean, uh, you know, actiony, not necessarily sort of violent or anything like that, but it's like you're getting a real indication of the power that he wields now. I thought that was fantastic, uh, and it got you know incredibly emotional in the, at the end when. Um, yeah, when Mando takes his mask off in front of people. No, well, really yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, and Pedro Pascal certainly, uh, you know, earned his earned his paycheck. This is what this is why you you hired Pedro Pascal, not for all the stuff that he's doing underneath the mask when he's underneath the mask, but you know, on those rare occasions when he takes it off. I mean, he's doing a lot of uh, really heavy lifting, and uh, absolutely with uh, with all that. I mean, that was uh, yeah, that was um, incredibly touching. Yeah, so um, it, it makes you think going forward. Is he just going to wear the mask for battle now and take it off, you know? Because he's sort of thrown, not thrown his beliefs at the window, but he's realised and he's acknowledged due to uh, the, the second last episode that it's okay to take the helmet off. That's qu- yeah, I mean, I think they have played with his, uh, his belief system a fair bit, particularly in this season. So, I mean, maybe that's something they said to uh, Pascal, you know, when they first hired him. It's like, Look, we've got a vision for this show, not just one season. I mean, well, you know, of course, it's a bit of a crapshoot. I mean, you, nev- you never know how it's going to be received. But uh, I think the guys at uh, at Lucasfilm and Star Wars Central are probably like, I think we can get a few years out of this. So maybe for the first two, you know, you've got your helmet on most of the time. But then in season three, you know, he's starting to think, rethink, rethink, rethink things a bit more. And uh, you may not be in the helmet so much. Oh, really? Thank God. <laughs> so um, that could be the case. I don't, yeah, and quite frankly, I'm all for it. I don't mind looking at Pedro Pascal. He's a good-looking dude. I just think that this moment was what the Star Wars franchise as a whole needed because it's just been somewhat disappointment after disappointment after disappointment with what Disney have delivered. They've delivered some good stuff, but on the whole, there's been more negative than positive. And even the ones that are, in my opinion, the better things, so like mm. the solo film, they have been seen, that they've suffered as a result of the sequel trilogy. Because people watched that last Jedi and went, I ain't bothering anymore. People lost, people lost faith in Disney's ability to be able to handle the Star Wars franchise before Mando came out. It's I did. I, I had, I wouldn't say I'd given up on Star Wars, but my, I had sort of got to the point where I'd gone, Oh well, at least I can just go back and watch the original trilogy now. Just don't get it. Don't basically. I was like, don't get excited for anything anymore. But at least you've got the original trilogy. I'll just keep going back to that. Yeah. But I- Disney have finally created their own concept with the Star Wars license that gets me excited mm-hmm. and has made made me feel emotions watching a TV show that I don't think I've ever felt. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think with um, the stuff that they're going to do for Disney Plus, or that they are doing for Disney Plus, and they can they're projected to do for Disney Plus in the future. I was scared by that announcement or the announcements. Oh, really? No, because I thought, no, this is this is a combination of expanding the mythology or just expanding the, the universe, but also damage control. Because, I mean, I think, you know, with they're talking about the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that they're doing with Ewan McGregor, and they announced that Hayden Christensen is coming back as as Anakin Skywalker. Well, it'd be flashbacks or whatever, yeah. Probably yeah one and, scene for like 30 seconds. Yeah, and all, honestly, I think that's a really good idea because, I mean, look, I don't think Hayden Christensen's a bad actor. I mean, I've seen him in do other other work. But, yeah, Just bad dialogue. Yeah, I think he was working with, you know... Yeah, particularly bad dialogue, and that yeah, it's, I mean, I probably said I think I said on the last episode of when we talked to, about the Mandalorian, it's like 
Natalie Portman, who's a really good actor, was probably as bad as Hayden Christensen <laughs> in the prequels. You know, so if he's got the opportunity to um, revisit Anakin Skywalker and you know show better interaction with Kenobi Threat- and all that kind of stuff, yeah. yeah, I think it could help uh, recontextualize the um, the prequels. So there's I that. Have, yeah, that's I think. A good I th- point. Yeah, yeah, and I think also with the um, the Cassian Andor series starring Diego Luna. I think that's you know that may go a long way to sort of filling in a few of the plot holes from Rogue One as well. Not yeah, you, know, you know they've got their work cut out of them. But but again, I like Diego Luna, and I think the the idea of like a spy series, you know, set in the Star Wars universe is is a great idea. It's it's what I hope. Which one, it's which what, one, which it's what I hoped would, would happen. You know when which, um, which 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 one is the spy series? That's it's called Andor. And it's yeah. Just, oh, so so that's so that's okay. Yep. And it's about his sort of you know his, his him working with the oh, working as part of the rebellion in the. Okay, um, so I've no, I don't know any info on that. Show yeah, yeah, and I mean there are a yeah, few okay. others that are coming up that are, you know, I think they've got like a droids series or something. And there's there's a movie called Rogue Squadron, which is basically just about like an X wing squadron. I think it's directed by Patty Jenkins, who did the Wonder Woman movies. It's it's just made for cool space yeah. battles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um. Yeah, I mean, it, like I say, it's what I it's what I hoped would happen when Disney sort of took over the Star Wars franchise. That um, you know they would use this universe and tell sort of interesting and different types of stories um, under this one umbrella of of Star Wars. So you know you've got uh, you know you, you've got Rogue Squadron, which is like about dogfights in space, and you know it's basically a story about a you know, a squadron of X-wing pilots, or you've got a spy story, or you've got like, in the case of the Mandalorian, like a western, or you know, you 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 could have like a comedy or something like that. I mean, and the Ahsoka show will be all about people who want Jedi battles. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's a it's a little limiting in some regards because it's you know it's still all Star Wars, but I, th- I think it shows that they realise, hey, there's a lot we can work with here. You know, I think the presence of Dave Filoni. I mean. I think I think he's probably the happiest man alive because you know he was doing Clone Wars and Rebels and all that kind of stuff, and now I think he gets to you know expand that even further. So uh, have you seen the documentary the on the making of season two with Filoni? I haven't yet. No, no. It's on Disney Plus. Yeah, it's like a, a one hour documentary on the making of season two, and Filoni just looks like a kid in a candy store. Oh, for real? Oh, I think I'll watch that once we're done here. That'll be great. But um, yeah, but. You know, even just looking back at this last episode, looking back at the rescue, you know, there's new stuff in there that sort of is pushing the th- is pushing the whole universe sort of outwards and expanding it. And but there's also stuff that's, you know, just again paying tribute to the original Star Wars. I mean, um, you mentioned before the soundtrack here with the Dark Troopers. I mean, there's that sort of that warning siren noise from the original yeah, Star Wars in there. Yeah, but they kind of noise. It's like oh, I mean that. I've got a sort of like a visceral reaction to that from when I was a kid. It was like, oh, that means shit's got to go down. Um, <laughs> but I think also, you know, there's, um, I think there are shots from the, you know, the duel between um, the Mandalorian and, and Moff Gideon that are straight out of like the Ralph McQuarrie um, concept paintings. Oh, wow, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at the, like there was one shot in particular that's like, oh, holy shit. Because I mean, yeah, growing up as a Star Wars fan, I remember like getting 
like the concept art book. I think there was I think there was one that was all Ralph McQuarrie's concept art, or maybe a magazine or something. But I remember just seeing images, thinking, "Oh man, that looks so damn cool." And I'm guessing that people on the Mandalorian stuff may have felt the same because yeah, there were certainly um, certainly images yeah yeah and out of the duel it was like, "Oh yeah, this is right out of the concept art. It's fantastic." So um, yeah, just a lot of a lot of good stuff in there, and also. I don't know, it felt like it was paying tribute to other things as well. I think, um, you know, uh, Cara Dune, uh, played by Gina Carano, she's throwing in a few sort of, like, <laughs> um, other language curse words. For instance, you know, when yeah, she... Uh, uh, Dank Farrick or something? Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's like, oh, <laughs> she loves saying those. It's a bit like uh, it's a bit like in Firefly or and, and Serenity when... Um, yeah. Yeah, they'll have... Um, or, or in Battlestar Galactica when you know, they're saying frack all the time or whatever. It's like, eh, you can't say fuck, but you can say frack. <laughs> it's, it's funny though, it's go, going back to what you were just discussing earlier about the fan service. See, when I'm watching it, to me, when she was saying those lines, that felt eye-rolling to me. I was like, ugh, just, this isn't what Mandalorian is. People are, I, I know they've said dank fake a few times or whatever it is, but mm. she was sort of like going to the extreme. They really threw in like a, a really over-the-top ones and I was like, this hasn't happened yet on Mando, and I've liked it for that. And now that she's just suddenly doing it, I'm like, oh, I don't know. That, that that it's funny. Just to me, her use of the the Star Wars swears was getting a bit sort of like cringy to me. The, she probably could have used one less. <laughs> it just felt unnatural because of the vibe of the show up to this point. They haven't really had her in particular doing it, and now she's just sort of thrown out there. But I'm glad you brought up Cara Doom because characters like her are what are going to attract a new audience. Mm. So Nicola hasn't watched anything to do with Star Wars, right? She couldn't really give a shit about Baby Yoda. And then she walked into the room and she goes, what's this? And I said, it's, oh, it's the finale of um, uh, Mandalorian. She goes, wow. She goes, it's pretty cool to see a, a normal-sized woman on TV. I was like, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Like, you know, she's not she's not like a model. Although she's a beautiful woman, but she's not, you know, your skinny um, runway model or anything like that. She's not like a, a bikini model, but she's just this stunning kick-ass strong-willed woman who can take charge and for the first time in a long time i just feel like the character of ray didn't didn't portray females the way cara dune and um uh who's uh who's uh boba's uh is it fennec oh fennec shand yeah yeah fennec shand so these women to me are much stronger than what the character of ray because ray's just like you know She's got she's got Jedi powers. It's like, oh, that's cool. Mm. But no, these are just women who can use guns and hold their own in an actual fist fight. That, yeah. to me, is a better portrayal of women than what Ray has been. Yeah, so look, I'm, I'm partial to Ray and I'm very partial to what Daisy Ridley sort of brought to the table in that regard. But yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the female characters in, in Mandalorian are, yeah, certainly feel more uh, well-rounded. Action stars. Out, all that kind of stuff. And action stars, yeah. I mean... Just the fact that there are four of them, sort of, uh, yeah, taking charge at the um, at the early stages of this episode. I mean, because you've got Bo-Katan, uh, Cara Dune, Fennec Shand, and I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the fourth character, but uh, I think she had a really badass line when Boba Fett showed up. She said something about like, "I didn't know sidekicks were allowed to talk." Which I thought, oh, you mean oh, you mean Sasha Banks's character? Let's oh, yeah, Sasha, yeah. Sasha Banks, Mando. Let's see what her character is. Uh, Koska Reeves. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that that's a terrific lineup. So um, yeah, no, I I, I, I thought yeah, Mandalorian's just sort of doing a lot of things right, if if not everything. And believe me, it feels like close to everything. It, they're doing so much stuff right. 
know. What I loved about it was there was a moment where I was watching it and then it dawned on me that I'm like, wait a minute, all four heroes on the screen right now are women. That's right. Yeah. Like, And it didn't stand out like a, and here's the women taking charge. Like, well, you know yeah. when you watch Endgame and it's like, and here's the women to save the day because, you know, girl power. Well, yeah. don't, they, don't, they don't flaunt it like that in this. It was just, oh shit. These are just four believable fucking kick-ass characters who just happen to be female. Well, yeah, I mean, there there were two sort of great uh, bits on TV this year that really took the piss of that old that whole Endgame thing, which look was well intentioned but very, very, very clumsily handled. But um, yeah, there, I think there was this bit which just which is like a not even a conscious response to that, but more like just like. Well, this is how you do it. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't make a big deal of it. You just do it. Um, you just you just have and, them doing it. Yeah. Yes. Or yeah. if you're going to really take the piss out of it, you do it like the um, the last episode of The Boys did. Um, I don't know if you've been watching The Boys on. on I've yet to watch it. Everyone tells me it's great. Yeah. Though, yeah. Well, there's a bit all through the season, you know, because it's very much about how would superheroes operate in the real world? It's like, well, they you know probably have a really strong PR department and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they'd be making movies about themselves and all that kind of stuff. And they're, they're making a movie and they're sort of having these very conspicuous girl power moments, which, you know, all the women involved are kind of like rolling their eyes and, do we have to do this? And then at the very end, the, the last episode, I don't think there's much of a spoiler, you do have all the women coming together and it's like the end of that uh, Tarantino movie, Death Proof. <laughs> you, okay. Yeah. Where, where it's just like, you know, they've got the catchphrase, girls get it done, but then they just, you know, they're kicking the absolute shit out of this person just the most brutal way. It's like, well, yeah, they are. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but um, no, I, I, I like what Mandalorian did with these uh, with these female characters. Yeah, to the point where you, you kind of feel a bit cheesy even saying, yeah, they're giving props to their female characters. Like, no, these are just part of, the, they're part of the universe. They're part of the fabric. That's why I get annoyed when people compare... I don't get annoyed, but I just... When they compare Rey to Princess Leia, I kind of say, no, Princess Leia, whilst it's revealed, been revealed later on, for whatever reason, that she had Force powers, mm. she didn't use that in the original trilogy. She was just a kick-ass princess who could you know, win a fucking gunfight. Yeah. You know? That, to me, is how... That that to me, that to me was how the women should have been portrayed, right? But then Ray was just like, "Oh, she's just the most powerful being in the world, and she doesn't know why, and we don't know why. She just is." And it's like, eh, I don't know. She never she she didn't actually win any actual fights. She just had magic abilities. I thought they set her up well in the um, in the Force Awakens. You know, that with her sort of like, you know, gradually coming to terms, like, oh, she may have this ability, she may not, and sort of working out. And look. I, I liked what they... Uh, about the only successful part of The Last Jedi was her storyline or the storyline that she had with Luke and I think with with Kylo Ren. I thought that I thought that part worked really well and I thought Daisy Ridley played it really well. Just, you know, she's not sure exactly which way she's going to go and uh, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think Rise of Skywalker really sort of <laughs> both dropped the ball and shat the bed in that regard. And it just, you know, I think, I think, it, gave her, it, gave, it made her too powerful. Disney just knew by this point, people don't give a shit anymore. Let's just wrap this up and move on. And I think that's what Mandalorian has done is they've, it's made you realize, you know, maybe that sequel trilogy should just never have happened and we should have just started with TV shows. The Star, the Star Wars universe works so much better now as a television show because you can give things time to develop and you can you know slowly drip things in here and there. You don't have to blow your load in a matter of two hours. 
I think that may well be the case, yeah. Look, of course they're going to still uh, make movies, although we're still sort of wondering about the viability of the big screen experience and the cinema experience, you know, given COVID-19 and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It may be more viable financially and creatively or whatever to, you know, beam it directly into people's houses. And there's, and there's no lack of quality as a result. You know, for ages it was always the thing that, oh, you went to the movies for spectacle and you went to, the, you went to TV for sort of like ongoing stories. You can get both now. You know, I mean, there has been a bleeding of not just one into the other, but both into both into each other. I mean, you only have to look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is like one big ongoing soap opera with, you know, interconnected parts. Um, meanwhile, you know, you look at um, TV shows like, well, Game of Thrones or Mandalorian or whatever that have huge, epic, big screen production values combined with um, ongoing storytelling arcs and that kind of stuff. So... Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting time to be a uh, a consumer of culture. So um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if um, TV, you know, and particularly streaming, was um, yeah more on the minds of of the folks at Lucasfilm and um, and Star Wars Incorporated. Definitely, I think people are more excited now for these television shows than they are for any like Disney could announce a new, and they have. They've said that Ryan Johnson's got a, a new trilogy. No one cares anymore. Well, like. Not nobody, but it's like, yeah, I'm not well, really yeah, excited. I mean, but, you know, I, I'm I really think excited be, for these new TV shows. Yeah, I mean, the fact that when, you know, when Disney dropped that bomb about, okay, we're doing so much Star Wars stuff in the future. And I mean, and not all of it was TV stuff. As I said, Rogue Squadron is actually meant to be a, is a movie. It's not a TV series. Oh, is it really? I did Yeah, know. yeah. Okay. So I was like, meh. Okay, I guess he could do that too. I don't know. I think I'd be maybe more interested in in a in a TV series about Rogue Squadron as opposed to you know just them doing one mission. I think getting back to the uh, the Luke Skywalker ending, I think what made his entrance so epic because um, it was basically like his Rogue One moment was that this was this was the moment that everyone, or not everyone, but most Star Wars fans wanted and expected from at, at some point in the sequel trilogy. And they robbed us of that. And I think that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And it seemed like it even left a bad taste in Mark Hamill's mouth. You know, this could, could in his mind, this could have been his last chance to portray this character. Mm. And we never got to see that kick-ass Luke Skywalker fucking people up moment like we got Darth Vader doing in Rogue One. We never got to experience that. I mean, even in the, the original trilogy, he wins a couple of lightsaber battles, but we don't see him using the Force and kill... And, Wrecking people, you know what I mean. We don't see that kind of version of Luke Skywalker. I get and what you. I, mean. as a Star Wars fan, wanted that right. They robbed us of that, and that was just like, well, you know what, Disney, you clearly have no idea what you're doing. So that's why when we got it here, and what made it even better was the fact that they had and Peyton having the battle between Mando and the Death Trooper. Was it Death Trooper? Yeah, Death Trooper. Uh, dark um, Troopers, I think they're called. Dark Trooper. Dark Trooper. Sorry, earlier in the uh, in the episode. To show to portray just how powerful they are, like it was, M- Mando was pretty much done for. You know what I mean? He was, oh, absolutely, it, it, yeah. it was almost dead, right? Oh yeah, well they're like ter- they're this- like Terminators. They're not like Storm. Yes, they're like they- Terminators. Exactly. So they emphasize just how powerful just one of these things are. Mm. So for Luke Skywalker, this man to be, just walk in and be able to crush one without even using a weapon, like it just it was, I was just like, Ugh! like yeah. it was like it was literally my favorite Star Wars moment. I've ever seen. Well, in my it's, tr- it's true, and it also it, was- it acted like as, as a good counterpoint to that whole Rogue One finale bit, uh, where Darth Vader's sort of going wild, and you know he's you know really fucking people up using the Force and hacking people up with his uh, with his lightsaber and all that kind of stuff. 
you know, what Luke's doing here is, well, first of all, there's there's no person inside these dark trooper suits, so you feel a little, little as guilty about messing them up. But it's also, you know, it didn't seem like there was any sort of rage or anything behind it. It was a bit more sort of serene and calm, a bit more sort of Zen Master Jedi stuff as opposed to crunch, whoosh, whatever. I mean, it yeah. was more, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, again, I, th- I think Favreau, Filoni whoever else is sort of calling the shots behind the scenes, um, I think really think they've got their eyes on the big picture and they're looking at how things connect and how, you know, I mean, even if it's not story-wise, even if it's just sort of like um, stylistically, you know, this bit might remind you of Rogue One, but it's sort of a bit of a contrast to that. I mean, I think they're connecting the universe in various interesting ways. You know, the, the Star Wars universe in very interesting ways. I think I think it's great. I mean, it's... it's uh, yeah, you know, it, it, no, it's 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 a delight to watch. One thing I'm just hoping is that all these new shows that have announced that you can watch them and not have to watch all of them to, to understand what's going on. I mean, I d- it's obvious yeah. they're going to have they're going to have cameos here and there between shows. It's just, it's it's inevitable, but I think it's important that you should be able to just you know turn on the Ahsoka show and just watch that and not have to have watched Mando as well. You know. Yeah. Look, I mean, I. Th- I think the key word is here is don't have to, had. Yeah, I mean, if you pick up on... I think, yeah, I think Mandalorian over the course of its two seasons has been pretty wise about this. I mean, I think it gives, you know, rookie viewers or sort of novice viewers a bit of an indication like, oh, there's a lot going on outside the frame that I don't necessarily know about, but I can watch this episode and I don't feel like I have to go and do my homework afterwards like... Who was that person and why did they do such and such or whatever? It's like, no, I can just dig this episode as what it is. If I want to learn more, great, but it doesn't diminish my enjoyment of this particular hour or half hour of entertainment. And uh, yeah, look, I I get the feeling they're going to be fairly savvy moving forward. It's like, well, you know, if you want everything, if you want to know everything... You know, it'll it may enhance your enjoyment of watching all these shows, but you can just watch the Ahsoka Tano show, or you can just watch Andor, and just dig that for what it is. I mean, hopefully that's the case. I mean, it would be the it seems to be the smart play. It seems to be the like the the best thing you can do in that regard. So the big question now is, what's next for Grogu? So was this <laughs> was this his departure from the series for a while? Is he just going to return at the end of season three? to save Mando with new Jedi abilities or... I mean, because I just feel like they're not going to overuse Luke Skywalker. I don't think they are. Look, I think I think Luke Skywalker was a Christmas present to the fans, in all honesty. I it mean, was, It was what we needed in 2020. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when season three comes up and it's like, you know, Mando gets a call, it's like, something's wrong with Grogu or something bad is happening to Grogu or whatever, you know, and he makes his way to the Jedi Temple or whatever. It's like, hello, guest star that we've never seen before or whatever. Who are you? It's like, oh, I'm such and such. And, you know, Luke is, <laughs> my mentor, Luke Skywalker, has entrusted me with the education of Grogu or whatever. It's like, oh, so that's why we're not seeing Luke. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but look, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I'm pretty sure that, you know, you'll be seeing Baby Yoda again. You don't leave that kind of thing you know, away for too long because, oh, did you see how his little ears pricked up when Luke Skywalker called him Grogu? Oh, so delightful. And R2 showed up and kids love R2. So, you know. This is the thing. So when when R2 arrived, that's when it got me. Mm. That So I was like, 
it should have just dawned on me. I'm like, of course R2 is with Luke Skywalker in the X-Wing. But when I've got this moment going, they're, 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 they're you know, tugging at my heartstrings. They're, they've got the score, which is just fantastic at the moment. Mm. Grogu saying farewell. But he doesn't really want to say farewell to to Mando. It's like he's he's been his, his dad for so long. Mm. And then R2 arrives. And I just, I literally just went, R2! And I said <laughs> it so loud to the point where Nicola looked at the door and said, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just give me a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it was just... Like being reunited with old friends. Because this... I know R2 was in the sequel trilogy. But he was just sort of there. Oh, yeah. And he had, more, he had more character in this 30 seconds than anything he did in that sequel trilogy. Oh, yeah. It just... It, oh, mate. Mm. It got me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it did. Now, of course, we all stay tuned for the Stinger. Uh, the post-credit Stinger. Oh, yes. Yes, which uh, I think gives a big indication of... well. Not what the Mando is going to be doing going forward, but uh, it's a spin-off for his, for his very own series, The Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, is it going to be a series, is it? Have they announced it as a series? That, that has been announced as well. I think they, they didn't announce that with the, the big drop where they initially said, hey, we're doing a million Star Wars things. I think once this episode, once the rescue finished, they said, oh, by the way, yeah, we're also doing The Book of Boba Fett, um, which I think has... Favreau attaches a producer or something along those lines. But Robert Rodriguez, um, you know, from the El Mariachi trilogy and the Spy Kids and pretty much everything else. Um, the faculty. I think he's on... And he directed a recent episode that had that was very Boba Fett sort of centric. He did the, the um, Boba he's, Fett's he's return, on, yeah. Yeah, he's on, uh, on board for that as well. So uh, I, think, I think that'll be great. I mean, and again, it's, a diff, it's another different kind of um, story. I mean, it's, it's almost like... A, it's not quite Breaking Bad... But I mean, it's it's the Star Wars underworld. It's Boba Fett sort of taking over from from Jabba the Hutt, and who was a Bib Fortuna, who was sort of running things after after Boba Fett was dead. So yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's basically Boba Fett is like the underworld boss on Tatooine. It's it, that's great. I'm looking forward to seeing that too. Isn't it crazy? Like, how exciting is has Star Wars become again? Yeah, the, the, I haven't felt this excited for Star Wars since they first announced there was going to be a trilogy of movies. You know, and the fact that we know that the people behind the machine now know what they're doing, it's like it's it's, it's like the, the 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 opportunities to just deliver quality material are just endless now. There is mm. so much to draw upon. As you mentioned before, Filoni and um, Favreau at the helm. These it's, it's, it's amazing what can be delivered when you let Star Wars fans run the show, not just mm. good directors. I, I feel like even George Lucas, he created Star Wars. It's his baby. But do you think he's a Star Wars fan anymore? Mm, I think I I think it's sort of evolved past him now. I mean, I think I think it. Well, I mean, you hear the stories about when he, you know, George Lucas made the first, yeah, you know, the initial Star Wars. It made a New Hope back in seventy seven. He showed it to a bunch of his filmmaker friends, and you know, I think some of them were like, eh, "Yeah, it's pretty good." And I think Brian De Palma, who made Mission Impossible, said, "That shit. What the fuck's all this?" And you know, and um. He took some of that on board and, you know, his wife, Marsha Lucas, basically re-edited the movie and turned it into Star Wars. So, you know, it's it's always been a group effort. It's never been just the brain... It's the brainchild of one person, but it's n- not just a solo project, for want of a better term. So once you make something that affects so many people, it's kind of out of your hands, you know. And, and I think you have to acknowledge that, you know, there are people... There's more than one generation of people who have grown up with Star Wars and been influenced by it. And, you know, they want to pay tribute to it, but they also want to move it in different directions as well. And I think, you know, art has to do that. It has to evolve. 
So uh, I'm glad that they're paying tribute to what George Lucas created, but I'm, glad, I'm, I'm equally glad, if not more so, that they're taking that and running with it. They're not just, you know, they're not just playing in the in the little sandpit or the little uh, pool that uh, that Lucas created. They're, just, they're saying, no, no, let's let's renovate, let's expand, let's, uh, you know, take the foundations of what's really good here and expand on it. So I, I think that's what they're doing. I, th- I certainly think that's what they're doing now. I think the movies, I think they, again, they had the best of intentions. Yeah, they had the best of intentions, but I think it was more an exercise in brand management than anything else. They didn't know really what the fans wanted yet. Yeah, I think they were. Tr- yeah, they were trying very much so. In fact, it's sort of like, okay, here's the Star Wars that you know and love, and you know we're going to branch out a little bit in certain ways. But uh, yeah, I don't think they could. They sort of lost their way somewhere along the line. Well, it was, it was just a case that they went all, all that stuff that you idolize your entire life. That doesn't matter anymore because this is the new Star Wars, and it's like you you need to like what Mando's doing is like writing that line where it goes. Yeah, we know you love that old stuff, but here's some new stuff too, and they could work together. Not yeah. forget all you've loved for your whole life. That doesn't matter anymore. It's like no, no, no. That's the wrong approach. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, and not look. I'm pretty sure not everything's going to work with all this, uh, all this new Star Wars stuff. No, not you know, probably not. Yeah, not all of them are going to be winners. They they can't all be winners. So um, we'll see how the, how it goes. But I mean, they're off to such a very they're off to a very very good start with these two episodes, uh, these two seasons. Of Mandalorian that we've had. I mean, it, yeah, as you said, it it rides the line very, very well. All right, I think that wraps up this season of Take It Like a Mandalorian, Mister Davis. It's been a fun ride, hasn't it? It has been an absolute hoot. I yeah, I this is um, one of my favourite shows on television, The Mandalorian. So it's uh, been an absolute joy talking about it with you, and I can't wait till it comes back. But uh, you know, it's <laughs> anything's going to be good after twenty twenty, <laughs> let's say. But I mean. It's, uh, it looks like there's a lot of really good stuff, either as a sort of a holdover from 2020 or stuff that's, you know, just going to be coming out in 2021. You know, on Disney+, Plus, for instance, you've got WandaVision coming up fairly soon. You've got those other Marvel things as well. I know I know, we're not we're talking about different things here. Yeah, there'll eventually be more Mandalorian as well, but there'll be these other Star Wars series, some of which are going to premiere in 2021. So, yeah, look, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful time to be a Star Wars fan and a wonderful time to be a sort of a pop culture fan, I think. Well, they've given us endless content to review now, haven't they? <laughs> oh, there's that too, yeah. <laughs> it's good for us. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed watching and listening to our... Uh, watching the episodes, listening to our reviews of each uh, episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian. Um, don't forget, um, if you're not aware, that we actually do a other podcasts as well. So this this show falls under the Four Finger Discount banner. Four Finger Discount is a, uh, a show where we review every episode of The Simpsons. goes all the way back from Season 1. We're currently in Season 12. Guy jumped on board Four Figure Discount in Season 11. So if you want to hear his, uh, his reviews of the first 10 seasons of The Simpsons, you're just going to be a Four Figure Discount patron. Um, also, we do Talking Seinfeld on there as well. It's also available as a free show. So Talking Seinfeld, if you like Seinfeld, we review that. There's also a podcast called Tales of Futurama that I do as well. But yeah, so Four Figure Discount... Uh, become a patron you get early access into this show early access to the four figure discount early access to Talking Seinfeld the Guy and Dando show and much much more but thank you so much for tuning in I really hope you've enjoyed it and I hope to see you one time in the uh, the exclusive four figure discount Facebook group but for now I'm Dando Mr. Davis any final 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 words for our lovable Mandalorian listeners this was the way <laughs> <laughs>